This is Slashers. You're God fucking touch the microphone. Shit, dog. This is Slashers, <laughs> your new favorite podcast about your new favorite horror media. My name is Jake, and with me, as always, are my esteemed colleagues, co-hosts, and cohorts, Doug, Adam, and Adrian. Guys, say hello to the mutant goons from beyond. Hello, all you wonderful mutant goons from beyond, and we're recording this live on video, so uh, none of you guys pull out your dicks. Don't do that. Don't tell me what to do. This is a, this not in my America. No promises. <laughs> What's up, goons? I hope you're feeling squishy today. Hey, y'all, and I don't have a dick to be pulling out, so I'm not doing that today. Thank you. Do you have like a weird clitoral nub like in Terror Firmer? <gasps> I don't, but we were talking about this today that like Jake and I found our like spirit people. And so uh, Jerry and Casey are like, Jake and Aiden, how cute would that be? (laughs) What what really frustrates me is I just had a really good one. You remember when I had our spirit animals with the gremlins, the new batch? I didn't talk about this on that episode, but clearly I'm Mohawk. Doug is Daffy. You have Lenny being my good friend, Adam, and George, That's of me. course, being aid because of the brow game and the severity of your disposition. And now you're like, oh, yeah, you look like that weird pasty guy who's got a fucked up face. And I'm like, thanks, lady. I don't think he has a fucked up face. Mm. I thought he was cute. I was like, for one of these trauma movies, because I've had to sit through three this weekend, I would say that Tara Firmer had the best looking people in it. I'd say he he was definitely at least a six point five and ninety nine. I mean, I wouldn't be ashamed of. Like, what's wrong with him? I don't know. Like the 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 kid from our the movie we're doing tonight. No. Yeah. Yeah. What's weird? They do a Jared from Subway joke in this movie. The kid from this is Jared from Subway, right? We can agree on that. (laughs) Basically, yes. Fuck. Basically, yeah. I mean, but Jake, for all intents and purposes, you do act. Uh, your mannerisms are a lot like Trent Haga from Jerry and Terra Firmer. So, on that, Aid is right. Aid is right. Uh, when he does that eye joke, he's like, "I'm sorry. That's the last time I'll do that. That was real cornea of me. I could picture you doing that." But here's the yeah, fucked like- up thing. Now, don't think I ever forget anything. But this is clearly Aid texted Doug aside from our chat and was like, "Hey." Remember when I gave you that fucking Friday the 13th debate? You owe me, motherfucker. You need to come in here swift. And Doug was like, dun, 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 dun. Get the I knew fuck. I won that shit. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Oh, no, I do not. No. I don't no, do pa- side chats. Kane <laughs> fucking hotter. Part five is God. Yeah, oh. and to be fair, part five is better. I'm sorry, Adam. I love you to death, and I wanted you to win so badly, but part seven sucks. <laughs> Jake, do you hear feedback in your headphones? Beep, 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 beep. It's every time that Adrian's talking. It sounds like I'm being suppressed as a white heterosexual male. (laughs) She actually thought that there was an issue. She's like, oh, my God, I'm going to throw my dog in a wall so we don't have audio issues again. Okay, so you're recording this, right? So now everybody can see my face every time we do a recording. Like, this is always my face. Like, that's why I look like the little short, stumpy gremlin and yeah, new <laughs> So before we go too far off rails, I wanted to do my Gettysburg address of trauma. I know we have a lot of people who are uninitiated to trauma and It can be really frustrating and weird to get into. I will be very open and honestly admit there's a lot of trauma material I don't like. Some of it I find very contrived and honestly kind of pathetic where you like look down your nose at it like, really? Like that's the best you got? 
I think that these movies, if you take them as a statement as to what they're not or anti-establishment film, I can't think of a better production company that's anti-establishment because it's like a reactionary piece of this is what I should do. This is the movie I should make. But fuck that movie. This is the movie I'm making. And so where you can supplant like terrible jokes with the idea of is this meant to be funny or is this meant to be anti-funny? Like when you tell the joke of like, you know, when a Lincoln Continental drives off of a cliff with three people in the car, what's the tragedy? Three people died. You know, like it's an anti-joke. If you can kind of go into it that way, I think you'll have a much better time. And also, I think think about the production value on a budget of like no dollars to do what they do in these movies is amazing. It's like when you have a friend who comes from the Dollar Tree and they're like, have a, a bounty of loot. And you're like, wait, the Dollar Tree? And they're like, yeah, this is five dollars. That's what these movies are. That is my dissertation. If you go into it with that attitude, you're not going to be looking down your nose because you're going to be like, wow, this is kind of interesting. And if you could supplant your disappointment with some deflated jokes that don't work with that. It's a party. Yeah. And I feel like the best joke for this one here is, is definitely if you found Andrew Dice Clay funny, like the one joke he said, <laughs> I, I feel like it's like, what are the monkey fold from tree? Cause it was fucking dead. Like if you find that type of humor funny, then, you know, then you're a trauma head. So. There you go. Hickory dickory dock. Toxy my cock. Boom. It's like the kind of funny that's so not funny that it somehow comes back around and becomes funny in another way. Yeah, exactly. Like the anti-humor where it's like there's a thousand punchlines you could have. There's a thousand different songs they could have written for this movie. But it's also like the fact of like they chose this. Like they actually pulled the trigger and made this movie. Because that's one of the things you could sit. You can keep polishing the stone until it's so smooth that it slips through the fabric of space and time into a different dimension. Or you can just fucking get it over with and move on to the next project. And that's this. It's like this is a movie where 90% of people, actually I'll say 99% of people, haven't made their own movies. So when you're like, fuck this movie, I could have done better. Did you though? Because they did. And they have been for a bajillion years. How many times have people come up with a concept or a just weird bonkers idea and said, oh man, that'd make such a great movie. Did they do it? No, they didn't. Guess who did? Troma. Yeah. Troma did it. They they just pulled up their bootstraps. They got out there. They made that fucking bonker shit happen. And they did it with heart. Hey, you're virtually uninitiated to trauma, right? So uh, this was the first one that I subjected you to. Am I correct? Yes, you are correct. So I had a friend. The reason I chose this movie to basically christen you into trauma was I had a, a friend back in the day who was in one of my bands who fell into the band because he was the brother of another member, as it happens. A very conservative Christian little kid who had a Zeppelin poster on his wall and ended up in a hardcore band dressed up in a whoopee cushion costume. It was interesting. And I sat him down. We watched this movie together. He is now like a psychotic confederacy apologist. And he, woo, things happen. Things change. And I like to think that it was a reactionary measure for me making him watch this movie 14 years ago or whatever, because I feel like it literally like, you know, when you put uh, uh, like Tupperware in the microwave and it never quite fits right again. That was my friend after this movie. How did your brain feel after seeing Poultrygeist? Uh, my first reaction was that I'll never get my two hours back again. Um, <laughs> my, my, so there were, but I, we were talking about this earlier that 
I feel terrible when I say this because I feel like I shouldn't be laughing, but there are parts where I was just laughing out loud. And I don't know if it was because I couldn't believe that this is so disgusting, horrific, just in every sense of the word, just terrible, but still has some sort of substance. There's something to it. I mean, it is a musical, right? So you can't hate a musical. So there's that. And you made the comment that I'd be sick watching this. (laughs) And uh, I was like, no, I thought I saw some shit on YouTube. Like I was watching the top 10 trauma movies or something. So I was trying to get myself first into this. I'm like, no, it's not that bad. It couldn't possibly be that bad. I am the kind of person, and I'm not trying to be sexist when I say this, but I really hate seeing flaccid dick in my, I hate that. I think it's the funniest thing in the world. The Righteous Gemstones show a flaccid dick in every episode of that show. And every time I think it's funny, every time. It's so effective. I think it's hilarious. I I think it's hilarious. Because you don't really have to, like, you have one, but you never have to deal with one. So there's like a difference. Like. I have to deal with one all the time. The fuck are you talking about? I have external no, genitalia. I don't have to. No, I always have to deal with it. You have it as your own, but do you have to deal with other people's flaccid penis is what I'm saying. It's like, that, is that a thing for you? If you want, we can go get sponsored by Hims and get some Cialis <laughs> for your boy. If that's what you're saying, that you're only no, dealing no, with flaccid no, no, dicks. No, we can, they, it's easy. It's prescriptions I'm just throughout my life, throughout, throughout, you know, my, my tenure of, of dealing with, Dick, Maybe I you're guess. doing it wrong <laughs> if you have a tenure of flaccid dicks in your yeah. history. Well, what happened? <laughs> but see, this is our so so we're getting into this rabbit hole, which is what we always do. But this is what a trauma movie is, right? It just like keeps snowballing and it gets worse and worse and worse as it goes along, and you're just like kind of watching it. And it's there are really funny parts. That was a brilliant analogy, right there. Brilliant analogy. That was like imitating life, imitating art kind of thing. Because this is like literally all that happened. Like this is all we ever fucking talk about, right? So I honestly, I feel like I don't hate it. I didn't hate it. I don't love it. I don't think I'm going to go back and watch this one. This one I didn't particularly like. The other two that you you terrible people subjected me to uh, were much better than this particular one. This one I didn't, I don't know. For those of you who don't know, we also did a brief review of Terror Firmer over on the Damn That Scary podcast. And at the end of this episode, you'll get to hear their interpretations of Poultrygeist. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, we did make you go through the gauntlet. And I'm not really sorry about it. I'm pretty stoked, to be honest with you. I I think that you picked this just to quote, and this is your quote, traumatize me. Yeah, I'm funny. I'm not not traumatized. I, I, I watched it here talking about it so we're good but (laughs) and then i basically gave you like the john hughes of trauma movies yeah Yeah, no that one was so cute i love that one like i was watching it last night i mean i did have issues with that we talked about that earlier but that was so cute like i was like oh i like this one it's it's dipping your toe into the toxic waste yeah yeah Yeah, but but for you eight i would definitely recommend the toxic avenger the original toxic avenger because that's the film that on, and that's why he's the man. He's like the Mickey Mouse of trauma. You got to see that original film because that is like the pinnacle trauma film. Class of Newcomb High barely touches on Toxic Avenger. Truly. But honestly, mm. like Toxic Avenger is the greatest film ever made. And since we're being filmed, I'll show you here. 
Toxie on my arm forever. This was my tattoo when I when it was my twenty uh, first birthday. That's a that was fucking the first thing great I went gift to yourself. And, uh, yeah, so so honestly, hey, do yourself a favor and watch the original Toxic Avenger. And I'll never first. fucking forget with Toxic Crusaders coming out. I went and rented Toxic, and I was <laughs> six, and I watched that movie. <laughs> fucking five times on that rental back to back and i was obsessed with it and that movie we had talked about this off here the quintessence of trauma because one of the things that doug you and i both agree on when it comes to modern trauma a little long on the tooth kind of wears out its welcome some of these things that get redundant brevity is the soul of wit i think toxie the original is 82 minutes Ooh, it's a perfect runtime. It knows exactly what it is. It is like a fucking thesis statement of like, this is what you need. This is counterculture. This is everything. We are done. And then you get into movies like Poultry Geist, which the novelty of Poultry Geist gives me a little bit of a slide, but this is obviously a bit too long at 103 minutes, right? Yeah. And to get back to you, Aiden, and then also the listeners too, Poultry Geist, I honestly wouldn't get started with Poultry Geist as your first trauma film. I would go in with the ones from the 80s, like Toxic Avenger, Class Newcomb High, hell, even Rabid Grannies, even though that's not a Lloyd Kaufman film. Paltry Geist, I think, was when it's it's at its like flat end of everything, where it's like it's like the after party of everything. Yeah. So if you really want to get introduced to trauma, Toxic Avenger, Class Newcomb High, Rabid Grannies, Redneck Zombies is another great example. Yeah. Those are the films I'd get introduced by trauma, honestly. Yeah, Toxic Avenger, man. Like, first R-rated superhero film. First superhero from New Jersey. Yeah, dude. All the So you thought it would be fun to send me this nasty uh, bird one. (laughs) If you can get through this, you can get through the rest, because the rest is going to be a treat, because you're going to look at it by comparison and go, oh, fuck, Toxie's so short. Oh, fuck, those effects are so great. Oh, fuck, the novelty is so fun. That guy's dick is a mop handle now. Yeah. Oh, my God. Listen, all of the effects with these, considering they're independent, considering the budget that they had, considering that they're, they're pretty disgusting, uh, not just with the effects, but like with everything else, like, I mean, there's a lot of sex, a lot of raunchy, a lot of very inappropriate things about them, but I will say the effects are amazing. I just only assumed that Jake wanted me to watch poultry guys because I felt like it was a commentary on like vegan and, and why we should be vegan. And like, (laughs) against against like the industry and so i fucking hate other vegans are you kidding me (laughs) one time i had a facebook group that was a straight edge vegan group and i don't give a shit if anybody found me on this i fucking abandoned it at like thirty (laughs) thousand users i was like you all fucking suck and i hate you and i am like you know how there are white apologists i'm like the vegan straight edge apologist where i'm like i know like i'm not that one though and that's why you're our vegan. Mm. I did find Costco has a new vegan cheese. It is delightful. I put it on my pizza. It was so good. Well, vegan cheese is a lot better than regular cheese because I was vegan for several years. Not that I'm tooting my horn or trying to like up one up Jake, but it is much better Were than you regular. Were vegan for maybe 15 years? Maybe? No. No. Oh, hell no. No. <laughs> No. Are you kidding me? Like, come on. I'm Hispanic. I have to eat like meat. Yeah. Well, for the record, Jake, I tried going <laughs> vegan for like a little bit and uh, it's just too fucking expensive. It's like going gluten free. I can't do it. There's, it's, I can't, I can't well, afford it's, it. It's not even that it's expensive. It's more of that. Like people just eat potato chips and drink coffee and say they're vegan. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> That's true. You people. can be vegan on a cheap diet and not do well for yourself. There are three <laughs> kinds of vegans. There are me's who are just like 
keeping on, keeping on. There are the ultra uber fitness ones who are like shredded and they take like 17 kind of supplements. And then there are the people who eat Oreos because Oreos are vegan and that's all they eat and they bloat and they feel weak and they're like, oh, veganism's bad. And you're like, no, you're bad. You're bad at being vegan. But what the fuck ever? Let's get. I would never show you this movie for that because I hate other vegans and I hate all that bullshit. I'm vegan. 90% of it's for the environment. So you're welcome. And I drive an electric car. So you know what? All of you honky motherfuckers who want to have your giant truck spewing all that shit in the air. I'm offsetting you. You're welcome. He's offsetting me because I have a Jeep. So. There you go. Uh, it's cute. Well, unless unless you're just talking about Lake Elsinore, Jake. I know I the whole Lake Elsinore is. So Fuck. Local <laughs> California humor for you viewers or listeners. The Lake Elsinore storm. Yeah, I remember I'm, I'm, I went to Lake Elsinore and I'm like, oh, what kind of bars around here besides bro bars? Like, we're None. all bro bars here. Yeah. Like, any, small little dicks and big old trucks. That's yeah. how Lake Elsinore is. Mm. So speaking of small dicks, that's what this movie starts off with. Yay. <laughs> but let's go into the statistics or whatever, if you will. Came out in 2006, some point, December 29, 2006, almost 2007. Shot on a budget of 500 grand. Now, here's something. Aiden, I don't know if you know this. Lloyd Kaufman is a fucking genius. He basically gets people to pay to be in his movies. He even makes fun of that in this movie. That fat dude is one of his key financiers and ends up in almost every fucking movie because he pays to be in the movie. That is a brilliant workaround. So you don't have to go get a producer to just get money and sit in a chair and look at you. He's getting people to pay and getting them to work. It's doubling down. Genius, no? Mm -hmm. They made a reference to that in Terror Firmer, too. Yeah, <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, he's like, my dad's rich. He's got his own private jet. And see, that's the people you got to get to get in your film. You know, you just want a screen time of it. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like getting somebody to go reap your weed fields. And then they come back to you at the end of the day. and they're like, can I buy the weed that I just reaped for you? Do you reap that? Or do you sow that? Adam, you're the expert. Right? <laughs> I just smoke it. Adam's like, what? <laughs> I was talking to somebody about the whole like me being straight edge in my 30s and people thinking it's like corny. And it's like, I, it's not that like, I, here's my thing. If I smoked weed, I would do it as a performance enhancer and a reward. So I would just never not. So I can't try it even once or I will just literally cease to be. Do you do that, Adam? Do you do it to like take the edge off? And then also you're like, hey, I took the edge off. Good for me. I'm going to also smoke to celebrate that I did that. See, I'm just, uh, I, I've been on different <laughs> things before. Weed and me just get each other. Weed just makes me balanced and gets me through the day with a smile and uh, without a bloody hammer in my hand. Ooh. Yeah, okay. It's a medication. It's Chill out, a, old boy. <laughs> not even medication. Like, it's so nice. And it's like, I feel like everyone should. Like this should just be legal at this point. Like it's not anything dangerous. Like Nancy Reagan can go suck it because. Yeah. yeah. And I could definitely, you know, aid you on that too. Uh, you know what I mean? Like after I got out of the military, like, cause you weren't allowed to smoke, you always get the piss tests and stuff. But after it became legal in California, I've been, you know, I, I've, I've smoked some and it's just, Honestly, it's not to get dark or like trauma dark, but it's like it saved me from blowing the brains out of the back of my skull. It's really helped me throughout my regular job. Honestly, 
it's you know so there you go there's a psa for you there yeah dude i it's i i had it for ptsd for some stuff that happened in life and honestly it's i've never slept well in my life and it gets me there i i feel better i sleep better i just i feel like a good person i dated a girl once back when weed was like not legal at all and she Mm. would smoke weed to sleep and i remember being like i i clearly just didn't get it at the time because i was like hold on you're gonna spend that much money and risk jail and you're not even gonna have fun you're not gonna watch saturday morning cartoons or anything you're just gonna fucking sleep that just seemed like a missed opportunity but now Mm. sure why not you can go to every corner store and get it right See, and back then it was just so much anxiety because you didn't know what you were getting. But now it's like you have like a bud tenders at these places out west and these dispensaries like give you apps to figure out what kind of weed you need. The personality profile like, oh, I think I'm really more of a ginger snap. Sorry. Here's the thing from actually coming from a VA, you know, I know where this is going off topic, but from a VA psychologist standpoint, honestly, Weed is the better option because the thing is you go to a you go to a state uh, issued psychologist or, you know, just a therapist. They're quick to issue. They're very quick to issue antidepressants yep. or pills for some sort of prescription, but they're not easy to to subscribe you to, to, you know, marijuana. And honestly, from my standpoint, taking the antidepressants versus weed, weed is the much better option. Weed has less side effects and it helps in the long term. Honestly, like, I don't know why it's been illegal. At the, honestly, people are people are fucking, you know, taking jail sentences for weed. And I, I just I, I, I can't cross it through my mind. It's the so, Hearst Dynasty. Look it up. There's a whole thing about paper production in the United States. That's just one element of it. And it's fucking psychotic. It's also racial oppression. And also, I've done way too much research on this and not enough research on this movie. So let's get back to it. Poultry Geist. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We start off in a graveyard with a guy getting a zombie's finger up his ass. Uh, oh, yeah. These are the things that matter. OK, I'm here to get to the facts. I'm the Dan Rather of this situation. I want to talk about zombie fingers, a perky Jared looking motherfuckers named Jason Yakinin's butthole. What do you think of okay. it? That was, OK, no. And, the, and this was the thing I was yelling at you because I'm like, why the fuck am I? First of all, it wasn't even the finger that bothered me. It was the guy coming out with his dick in his hand jerking <laughs> off. Like, and then this is like a, like a recurring theme in all of these movies. Like, do I have to keep seeing all these people masturbating like every five minutes? And it's, and it's not just like, it's two seconds and moves on. It just like lingers. Yeah. Like, do we need to keep watching? Like, I get it. He's, he's jerking off. That's great. Do I need to keep watching this for the next five minutes? Yes. To see what happens. According to Lloyd, very much I, so. Here's I, the thing. I don't, and you're saying, yes, I, I feel like, and even even in Terra Firmer, when she's jerking off with the pickle, she's not jerking off. She's masturbating whenever she's doing with the pickle. Like that was too long. Like, come on, I get it. Doesn't take that long. Wait, You're making wait. too much thing. Was she gherkin <laughs> off? Oh my god! Or <laughs> I was gonna say jerking in. <laughs> Jerk it, whatever, whatever it's called. I don't care. My thing is, is that no, I don't. I I can't. I I I did. I saw it. I, I can't, but I did. But and here's the great part. You, you had to sit through so much tit that you got to see flaccid dick as a contrast to it. And I think that's the funniest part <laughs> is because it makes people super uncomfortable, right? Where they're like, oh, my God, that movie had 17 dicks in it. But like, dude, you use tits to sell cheeseburgers. You use tits all over the place. It's just titties flopping around, getting men all aroused and shit. And then it's like, oh. 
why don't we just see dicks everywhere? What's the problem? I get it. Okay, so tits arouse you. But also, though, the female form is a little bit more attractive, I think, in my opinion, than... In everyone's opinion. Even in gay men's opinion, I'm pretty sure they're like, oh, yes. A a swinging, soft, hairy dick that may or may not have been washed. I don't know. But I just... so well, I, let me I, give you a real I, life story here. So, so the guy who played the graveyard keeper, the guy who played the graveyard keeper was John Karras. And a funny story. So, a few years back, I worked on a film with with Joe Castro, and, and John Karras was there. I didn't recognize him at the time, but I was working alongside him, and I just kind of turned to him and I looked. And he wore the same glasses, and I looked. And I'm like, "Are you the guy fucking masturbating in poultry, guys?" And he's like, "Yeah, that was me." So, oh. yeah i'm just like oh you're the you're, you're the graveyard jacker offer in poultry guys that's good awesome to be working next to you so would have been really fucking awkward if it wasn't yeah he's like no i'm from the church of latter-day saints <laughs> what yeah, i just turned to him like oh you're the guy that masturbated in the beginning of poultry guys should have told him to take it out and prove it like i don't know if it's well, really it's clearly you, a so. prosthetic cock unfortunately Stone you can tell by the balls yeah. you can usually the balls are a dead giveaway too rigid I just love uh, the, the idea yeah. that he sits there and he takes a drag off a cigarette. He's like, yeah, kid, here's my card. And it just says, guy masturbating in graveyard and poultry geist, colon, night of the chicken dead. <laughs> dead. That's, that's like, okay. So remember, it's the same thing with forgetting Sarah Marshall. I'll never forget this. The so good. Ever saw oh. when, he, when he crouches over on the floor and he's, you see his balls. Yeah. Like, all of us scraping like ah, nobody wants to see. Like, oh god. I don't You've never been in the men's restroom of a YMCA. I take it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to see. I don't Oh yeah, growing up. Uh, honestly, it's it's weird, but it's like growing up. You go to the YMCA. It's a bunch of old naked men that get naked and spread their ass over. It's it was crazy. The thing. I, yeah, I don't know if you guys. <laughs> oh, all the time at the YMCA. <laughs> Well, and they I always put one foot up on the bench yep. and just have a conversation. Balls out here, here you go. Uh, don't mind, don't mind the ejaculate on the floor. That, that's me. I'm like, what the fuck is this? I'm, you know, what's always crazy, whether it's been 24 hour fitness, LA, any gym I've ever been a part of, crunch for Christ's sake, it's always a guy, and they have the slip on sandals over the, not a thong with the the thing, but like the slip over once every time. And they always sit with their legs as far apart as possible, as if they were trying to birth a child for the smallest, hairiest dick and balls you've ever seen. It's this giant tuft. It's a lion's mane. And then it's like this little purse, little. Yeah, it's awful. (laughs) Worse than this movie. Let's move on, shall we? Hey, I'm just going to ask you this. What did you like about this movie? Because I have a feeling that there's some things that you resent yourself for liking, and I have to touch on those before we finish. Okay, so I really like Denny in the movie. <laughs> I love him. I'm really sad to see that he left, but I kind of like how they brought him back. So, so good. there's that. I really like there's just so many stupid things if i may i always wanted to make a shirt that was super niche for this movie as a reference (laughs) to better off dead with john cusack maybe better off den dot 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 ny denny (laughs) but did you like did you catch the the name scheme arby wendy mickey is in mcdonald's yeah like they're all like um carl yeah they're all fast food places which i thought was cute and obviously the the practical effects because i'm always a bitch about practical effects like i hate c 
CGI. We all know this. I bitch about it all the time. The fact that they, they, these movies and all of them that I've watched thus far have the best, like, real, practical, like, disgusting, ew, like, you want to throw up effects. So I, I can't, I can't hate it. Like, you, they're actually doing what I ask for. Um, because you don't really get that in mainstream movies, like everything CGI now, or, or especially in big blockbuster movies, you see more CGI, I feel like, than than just having the practical effects, even though it was disgusting. Like, I mean, the guy shitting on the toilet, like. Yeah. How many fake asses were in this movie? Because there was asses getting fingered, asses shitting, asses laying eggs, and they all had to be fake. Well, we have to talk about I, the uh, the jacker offer in the cemetery his ripped through his anus and it's just so gooey and chunky and delicious and you hear it yeah like you hear like the sound effects too with these things are just so nasty like they're like yeah he he grabs the toilet paper from his hand through his mouth out his ass and and you know what i mean it's it's (laughs) and here's the thing too um you know all these film students yeah this film came out in 2006 and the thing is, a lot of these these uh, these these Tarantino carrot waxers, they're all like, oh, my God, these films are shot in 70 millimeter. Lloyd Coppin shot this movie in fucking 35 millimeter film. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize that. And, um, you know, it's just completely overlooked. But 35 millimeter film is expensive to shoot on. And, uh, yeah, with practical effects, it's weird. But 2006, you're getting a film that looked like it was filmed in the 1980s. Yeah, and there's a, a steep decline in the quality of trauma films after this one. We had talked about it. This is kind of like the yeah. last stand at the OK Corral before it's kind of gone forever to an extent. Yeah, because you're right. This one still just has that visual film richness to it. Yeah, because after that, I'm sure we'll talk about it later on the podcast, but Return to Newcomb High and all that, that, that's when they started going green screen and, and not even green screen, let's say blue screen because half of the effects just look bad. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean, like, Lloyd Coffin's an awesome guy, but I feel like after Paltry Guys is like the last hurrah. And then before that, uh, you know, that's when you were starting get it, getting into like the real gross and offensive trauma films. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? But this was the last hurrah. And I feel like this film... This isn't my favorite Lloyd Kaufman trauma film. I just feel it's a little too long. But but honestly, like I, this is the last film before when it all like uh, everyone else got their hands in the editing room and just kind of did what they want and make a YouTube type edit for like Return to Newcomb High and all that. But that's for a later discussion. <laughs> well, and and I really like the fact that this one and um, Terra Firmer, they both have documentaries. I'm sure more of them do. Yeah. Because that's half of the fun is the creation of it. Yeah, because I, I feel that that's more interesting to me than the actual movie. And so, like, a lot of the the stuff that I found on this one had to do, ha- came from the documentary and the fact that all of these people came from all over to work on this movie. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, it's 2006. Like, I that's when I graduated high school. That's when MySpace was a thing. Like, yep. I'm thinking 2006. Like, who fucking cares about 2006? So, I just... Nothing about trauma films is convenient. It's always a huge no. pain. It's always a huge ordeal. It's so it, inarguably, it's always a labor of love because you don't do this amount of work for something you exactly. just flippantly are like on a whim, right? This is yeah, not a so resume because- builder. In fact, people like James Gunn kind of have to hide that it's on their resume. Very true. Very true. And that's sad. I mean, you know, I feel like they they spend a lot of time on these movies. Like, I I don't think that they're just like slapstick and thrown together and maybe they are but i do feel that there's enough substance to it that it's not just (sighs) i'm trying to think of it's got heart 
it's got a lot of heart. It's got a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, like you said with the documentary. You could literally see like the cast of girls sleeping in a, like a church basement yeah. with one with one pisser, and you know, no one's taking showers just because they can't afford it. The everything that goes wrong can go wrong on a trauma set, and these people just push through it. You know what I mean? And honestly, that's that's art in itself. So those documentaries you watch, it's like, man, these people are struggling to make this film happen. So it gives you so much more, more respect for the trauma films as, as just throw away, you know, garbage films. Honestly, you throw away garbage films. That that's that's for the new full moon films, honestly, in my yeah. opinion. But it goes to it's the punk simple, as fuck. Exactly. And that's what that's the exact thing. It's DIY. And that's something that always rings true to me. You know, CGI is fucking amazing. It's beyond my realm of comprehension. I did computer drafting when I was in high school and that's as far as I ever got. And 3D rendering and stuff. It's beautifully technical. It's amazing. But you know what? It's also sterile as fuck because you like you don't have somebody running to the store to pick up Hershey's syrup to try and figure out a way to make fake blood in a black and white film versus there. It's like, oh, I had to go install a new Adobe driver to make this effect oh, work. <laughs> this blood plugins got to look great. See, I mean, it's it's hard to really love that mystery because we've all heard me talk about it a million times. What I love about horror is the fucking the magic trick of it all. I want to know how they did it. I want to see that. I want to experience that. And you could just imagine some kid on a fucking frantic run to Home Depot to get some tubing so he could blow shit out of a fat guy's ass. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, there is a, there is a beauty in all of that, especially um, in that booty. Yeah. That, well, not that particular scene, but in any any practical effects. And so that. This is this is by far the biggest respect that I have for these kinds of movies. Well, I've always known about them. I've never had uh, an, a drive to watch it. So I want to thank the three of you for um, <laughs> inspiring me <laughs> to watch these things. Uh, we care. <laughs> thank you. I, and, you know, and like I said, Dan was watching one uh, Terra Firma with me this morning and he's like looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I just I I feel like I'm glad that they're here because what else? It, this is a really good talking point. Like these these movies, like I could talk about it all day. Honestly, they're not my favorite. I'm not going to say that I'm going to watch them multiple times, but I will say that this is a great thing to talk about. So <laughs> it's. It, as far as the podcast goes, like this month, I think is going to be a lot of fun. Not because I'm excited to watch these movies, because I'm kind of dreading some of the things that you're making me watch. But honestly, this is a really good talking point. So thank you. You'll like rabid grannies. Trust me, you'll like rabid grannies. But another thing I just want to throw out there for fans of this type of film, I guess it's it's harder to say now because the inter- internet with Instagram and all that, you can connect easily. But, you know, back when this was out, I was in high school when this came out and for, for people who enjoyed this type of cinema, you made friends for a lifetime. One of yep. my buddies, Alex Powers, I became friends with him from YouTube um, back when this was released. And we used to send each other like DVD-R rips of movies like Black Devil Doll from Hell and like these obscure trauma films uh, that were harder to come by because you can't just watch them on YouTube. And uh, you know what I mean? Like, and people from there on out, like we, we ended up making Gross House and Gross House 2 and Don't Touch That Dial together. And the thing is, it just makes lifelong connections. You'd never think these films would do that. Um, you know, you watch them like, man, these are fucking gross, stupid, stupid, gory films. But, you know, you connect with people who are fans with these. You'll make lifelong friends. It's the most bizarre thing. But honestly, like, that's why I miss conventions so much, because you can Same. make lifelong yep. connections with this. Yeah. 
like I'm always saying, it's it's finding your tribe. When you can find someone that can appreciate something that is that avant-garde, fucked up, out of left field as much as you do, you're like, okay, this guy's cool. And yeah, usually horror fans and especially like trauma fans, friends are they're lifelong. Yeah, and and if trauma's taught us anything, it's about shameless shameless self promotion. So I guess I'll say this now. You know, you listen to the Slasher podcast, but uh, if you subscribe to Trauma now, don't touch that dial, which is a feature film I made back in 2011 in in my college days. That's available to watch on Trauma now. Same with uh, a short film I did with Rob Mulligan uh, called uh, The Incel, which is on uh, the show uh, Mulligan's Monsters, which is on Trauma now. So uh, you know, my buddy James Coker, who plays Moronica, who's basically a character. Uh, he's that one bad guy. He, we basically modeled off of that Toxic Avenger part two. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, don't touch that. That was just an offensive garbage heap of a film that was made with 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 zero budget. Um, and Troma picked it up. So I honestly like that. You know, that was my biggest dream. I've always wanted to, you know, be, be a big I was always a big fan of Troma. And, you know, having it being a film I made being distributed by Troma itself. That's that's just a, I could die happy. <laughs> that's bragging rights, motherfucker. And you need to brag more. Hell often. Yeah. Yeah. So I was giving you a platform to brag more off, but yeah, I'm super proud of Doug. <laughs> also, I'm super proud of Friday Night Action, dude. You fucking kill it every week. It's like a highlight of my week is to desperately beg my children to fucking fall asleep so I can whisk <laughs> over to my Roku and watch you on B Movie TV. Uh, sometimes I miss you and I just see the movie, but I'll try and catch you on the on-demand section. Oh, well, the, hey, that's good. Well, you know, that's a whole other audience, too, because we have a little advertisement for Slasher's Pod that pops up every now and then. And Ken, who runs the channel, I'd love to interview him, too, because that's a whole other 30,000 people or so that it, it's all a fun little community. Yeah, Trauma man. Films, B-Movie TV, Roku. Um, it's, it's all these people that love these underground films um, that are all kind of coming together. And honestly, like I said, you, you really think it's weird, you know, people, you know, the older generation, the, the doomer and the boomer generation say, ah, oh, you shouldn't make friends with people online. But honestly, I've been, these people we've made friends with online due to mutual love of these films, they 15, you know, 15 years later, we're still friends and talking to this day. So this really makes a huge impact on life, honestly. Yeah. And I noticed that in, in the impetuousness of youth, I had a lot of friends where we hated the same stuff. Where it was like, it's us against stuff. And it's a very negative mindset. But it's very easy to fall into, you know, especially when it comes to political activism and stuff like that. You find people who have a common disinterest. But to find people you have a common interest with can be hard, especially when somebody like kind of agrees with you. When you're so young and you have this infantile understanding of your own identity and you're like, oh, well, you kind of misrepresent me by saying that it's the best movie when it's kind of like the second best movie. So we can't really mesh versus like. You guys are like my best friends now. Like I talk to you literally more than anybody, probably sometimes more than my wife. Sorry about it. I get no respect. Take my wife, please. But my point being, you know, find people who have the same interests. Use us to find those people. Use you have so many resources available. Like you're you're shooting yourself in the foot. Like on Reddit, dude, I'm a member of like 15 fucking terrible groups between like tokusatsu and Japanese cinema and free movies on YouTube where I have found some of the coolest shit and had some amazing conversations with people who I don't know their real name. Never going to see them again, but it was delightful for that infinitesimal short moment of time before I forfeit that to the cosmos and can never reclaim the time. That's what life is about. Boom. Mm -hmm. Those moments. And and I think that's about this whole community that we that we're a part of is that this particular like niche I guess I'm not even a niche like this 
whatever it is that we do or that we all love, it brings people together, uh, especially being a part of, of this and doing all this and just like being able to like listen or even on the Instagram, like I'm just watching people's conversations and seeing what they're doing and just, just knowing that we're all in the same boat. Like, yeah, we're all like stuck. This pandemic sucks. It's mm-hmm. shitty but we all love, you know, these movies and, and we're going, you know, we're getting our, our, our fun little props that we love and we're doing all these things. Like this is something that brings people together. So I don't necessarily look at this as something that is what other people might think as disrespectful or just terrible. Like they may look at us and think that we're crazy, but honestly, no, I feel like this is, this is why we do this because it does bring people together and it does, it brought the four of us together like we wouldn't be sitting here talking right now or, or doing any of this. And honestly, with the whole pandemic and whatever, I feel like I'm just very thankful that we all know each other, even though you made me watch these trauma movies. <laughs> I'm really happy that we all got to know each other because honestly, what else would we be talking about right now? And and there are people listening to this and just like, okay, yeah, we're going to watch the movie. We're not going to watch it. Um, there might be a ghost in my microphone because for some reason, like things keep playing back and I just heard something very weird. Um, <laughs> did you hear that? Am I crazy? <laughs> but anyways, so back to poultry guys. But no, it's a great point because like my brother-in-law went rock climbing with me one time. He's like, what the fuck am I doing here? And it's like, you never would do that unless you had somebody to kick you in the ass to do that. And here, all we're asking you to do is watch a fucking movie. You don't have to leave mm-hmm. your house to put on pants. And you can go on a great journey with us right into Tromaville. Mm-hmm. Question. Now that you've seen these movies, you've seen a couple, and it's it's something that we've all done. Like, do you feel a new level of closeness? Like, next level on the friendship ladder kind of thing? <laughs> a level of closeness that I've watched all these people do these things. <laughs> We saw someone with a dick nub mangina. Yeah, man. Oh my god! I, you know, and I, I feel like yes, I there is a closeness with you, but I feel like it's more entertaining for me, and this is probably why you guys wanted me to watch that. Listening to Dan talk about these things <laughs> today because he doesn't give a shit about anything that I watch, and like listening to his opinion and his perspective on it. Our gift to you. Yeah, I'm just like, oh my god, this is great! Like now, all these people know about like the the, the pickle incidents and like um, this nub and uh, these like random. Oh my Bro, god! It's- I already don't get laid enough. If I ever made my wife watch one of these, I guarantee you, I would never see a vagina again, and I would start fucking pickle jars because of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, well, I mean, funny story. The first time I got laid with the uh, with 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 when we got together, we watched the Toxic Avenger. Dude, and then we watched the Human Centipede Part Two. So then you know it all goes full what circle. The fuck? Oh my god! Part, part with two. the sandpaper. Oh. Yeah, the sandpaper with uh, widget midget wax and his carrot. Mm. See, my wife. Second date. My wife. Me. Sorry. My wife. It's it's fun. We're we're. Still within the year of a fresh Borat sequel, so that's fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, second date, my wife showed me, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Live Freaky, Die Freaky. Fuck that movie, Davey Havoc. I I own it on DVD, and it's terrible. I'm going to take that it baby out of awful. your stomach and fuck it. I will never forget that quote, because Davey Havoc. I, I knew that day I was going to marry that woman, and uh, here we are. 
Uh, All right. We're talking about incredible investments of time with individuals. Here, I'm going to be inserting my interview with Price James, who spent an absurd amount of time with one David Arquette as he embarked on his journey to become a professional wrestler. Uh, Because I can't say once again, I guess for the first time, because he really wasn't before. But the most important thing about Price James you need to know is that he directed the Action Man shorts online, which go and it's a tremendous thing where they're trying to exemplify and draw attention to the plight of veterans. And it's something that's very near and dear to me. And I support it wholeheartedly. It shows the tortures and traumas that people have gone through. And it helps to try and raise awareness and funds to support those individuals. So if you go on YouTube, you can find it. Just Action Man uh, commercial. You'll see it. Matt Berry's in it. He's wonderful. We talk about it. So here it is, my interview with Price James. This is the interview section of Slashers that I still don't know how to fucking introduce. My name is Jake, and with me is my good friend, Price James, who I accidentally called Prince James, but I feel like you're royalty here, my friend. I'll take Prince. How the hell are you? I'm very good. I've taken, I've had Prince from a few Uber drivers before, so I kind of just uh, like do some like regal, (laughs) like some cliche British guy thing. There we go. Yes. Indubitably, what, what? So jingle jangle. (laughs) So uh, you are one of few people who you're in rarefied air with me. I uh, went on vacation, uh, a holiday, if you will. I know the nomenclature to Australia a few years ago and Toast of London was on Netflix. So we were trapped in our hotel room for a day. My wife and I watched all of it. And then when we got home, we got to be the prissy hipsters because then Netflix had it on US and we were like, everybody needs to fucking watch this. Everybody needs to. Nobody watched it. And you're the one person to ever bring it up organically with me in conversation. So thank you so much. Dude, that's an underrated series. I mean, everyone in Britain kind of knows Toast because Matt Berry's like a legend. I, I don't <laughs> know if you've ever seen uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <laughs> yeah. But like, that's something that we, my group of friends, we still reference pretty much weekly now, like 15, 15 years later. Just... um. And he's basically just doing a James Mason impression his whole career. It's kind of James Mason like this, Um, which I'm just, I'm a huge James James Mason fan as well. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Matt Berry's just a, uh, he's a legend. The toast is amazing. The, um, Release the nuclear missiles. <laughs> it always gets me. And his ejaculation sounds and the yeah. fact that he has a tiny Muppet wiener. Just, it all makes me so happy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's gold, man. That's like, I mean, I think it's, it's you, you said it's on a US Netflix now. Yeah, but back, this was like 2017. So they, it was only in the Australian Netflix and I was too cheap to pay for a VPN. But that experience taught me that I should do that. So if anybody wants to sponsor us who like does a VPN bullshit, I'll peddle your wares because I'm big into it. Yeah. Also, I think uh, because of uh, what we do in the shadows, oh, it kind so of did quite good. well. So I think he's got more of a... Uh, his trajectory, whatever they call it in Hollywood, you know, he's like, even though he's like been famous in England for many years, I think it's, he's sort of on the radar and maybe people going back into toast. Yeah. What's so amazing is like, like you said, he plays the same kind of thing, but it's the diversity of character, but it's presented in kind of the same way. But so you could always tell like a true fan because they're like, oh, well, there's the idiosyncratic nature. Let me ask you a question. Do you call it the IT crowd or the it crowd? Mm. IT crowd. See, that's what I always say. If people try and say it crowd, I'm like, that's not correct. Thank you. It's the it crowd for, I think, text, for the text joke. Yeah. And then it's the, you've got to pronounce it IT. That's how I would do it. I mean, I'm, I don't know whether, I'm a yeah, big fan of uh, Richard Aody and all those guys. Fuck. They're like, that they're episode great. where they play D&D fucking kills me yeah. every time. Amazing. 
It's amazing. And it's so crazy that he went like, um, oh, I forgot, I forgot, what's his name? The Irish, oh, got brain pop. Um, uh, Chris yeah, O'Dell. Well, yes. It's just like he, the fact he went on as well to kind of like big, be in bigger movies. He's yeah. like beloved. And, um, you know, who doesn't like a sort of chaotic Irishman? <laughs> it's it's like, fun. Oh, it's just a good character trope that works as an archetype. <laughs> it really does, right? Yeah. This is like odd Cheshire cat kind of character. Yeah. So you actually got to work with Matt Berry yeah. on your action. Oh, segue. Yeah, I've realized that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, I need more like media training. Oh, um, that's the great thing about podcasting is it's just it gets the essence of you out in a way that those press junkets can't because I have seen those interviews that people have to do at South by Southwest where you're getting the same question. And I let me ask you this. Uh, it, hypothetically, I didn't find this on the internet, but I'm assuming that when you were promoting uh, You Can't Kill David Arquette, that somebody's like, what would your wrestling name be? And then you probably got that 15 times in the same day. No, right? do you know, not really? a single person. No, what? not a single. And I would probably answer the Hessian. <laughs> Because of just like a Hess suit kind of uh, DNA, and it was like my nickname at school. So the Hessian, I think, is probably. And I'm six foot five, so I'm, I'm holy kind of, shit. I'm sort of a beast. <laughs> and what's so funny is that picture at the end of the film with you and David. He's towering over you. Yeah, I know. It's funny. It's because like yeah, dogs like average height, and yeah, and I'm sort of a beast. But I think it was just because like. The photographer's uh, studio was so tight. The only way, I mean, there's no way the the shot would be like this. So it was like, okay, big guy, sit down, and then your body can. uh, We thought it was funny. So it's kind of a, yeah. Oh, I'm going to throw this at my dog real quick. Shut up, you infernal beast. I've been vegan for 15 years, but I'm about to kick this dog. Is that allowed? And I'm just kidding. Don't. I'm. I'm gonna delete that out of the interview. I'm I'm veggie since April. Oh, really? Congratulations. uh, I mean, okay. Anyone who knows me will just be like, he's talking shit. But I, I have been veggie, but I, I do relapse occasionally. Like on Christmas Day, I cook pork belly, which is pretty much leaning in as as strong as you can go back into me. Yeah. I feel um, like veal's a little bit worse, where it's like, let's yeah. take the baby yeah, cow. Some, yeah, look, white <laughs> veal, where it yeah. never sees daylight. You know, like, I really want some like tortured animal. Yeah, right. Mm. Can we just sprinkle on some more suffering there? But no, I yeah. there are tons of elitist gatekeeping vegans, but I, I think I've been in like this position where every subculture I've ever been a part of has these like gatekeepers who are so shitty to other people. And I'm like, fuck yeah, yeah dude, welcome in. You know, like I had a friend who uh, was straight edge and then he stopped being straight edge and he came back and people, well, you can't be straight edge because you smoked weed for six months back when you were 19. I'm like, no, he, right. he can, funny thing, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. He's an adult. So you know what? You have my permission as a vegan to eat pork belly on Christmas. Thank you. You know, it's funny you mentioned straight edge because a lot of my, um, I was in a, I was in like hardcore bands and stuff yeah. when I was in the, like in the nineties. So I know that world. And I, and I have to say the kids who are the most, uh, I get kind of like grandstanding, uh, straight edge vegans. Oh yeah, um, dude. They're all the ones who relapsed the hardest, and there were like a few people became like heroin addicts. Yep. Um, you know, some people ended up setting up like burger trucks. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> they're just like, you know, if you, if you, I think if you sort of balance is everything, right? Yeah. Well, at least have your beliefs, but then if you kind of grandstand and champion, you have that vitriol, it's always going to end in tears, maybe. Yeah. And it's also, it becomes part of your identity, right? And it becomes such a negative thing. And I think yeah. another beautiful segue from me, the best interviewer of all time, uh, the identity that David gets as a wrestling character, because it's part of his identity. It's something he can't shake. And it's something that haunts him for 18 years. And then you get to put that on stage. Like, How exciting was that? 
Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like, I mean, me and Dog, you know, we did it together. We, um, it was something that we, we knew from the outset. We, did, we, we actually didn't know about uh, Arquette's, like, wrestling backstory at all. Yeah. So, I mean, I was a super fan in, like, 88 to 90, 91. Right that was, like, you know, the, the golden era of, like, the kind of comic book style superhero. Oh, yeah, uh, rock and wrestling, Ult- dude. Yeah, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man, they're, they're my faves. Um, and... Um, yeah, so we didn't know about, you know, in the 90s, you know, when it kind of we were a bit older and we sort of grown out of it, but yeah. WCW was kind of having its heyday and stuff. So we didn't really know about it, but we did know that he had been called like the most hated man in wrestling. So I guess that as a baseline is like, well, this is going to be an interesting story because even though he wanted to have this redemption, mainly for his health reasons. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of put a pin in it and stop the sort of the hate, you know, he's a sense, he's just a really sensitive guy. So I guess. It was a kind of redemptive story for, for his real life as well as his like wrestling, you know, yeah. alter ego. Um, so, I mean, it was like, you know, two and a half years later and, you know, this is where we are. We're back still on the, the promotion train. We just released, we released in the UK on the 10th, which is two days. Congratulations. Three days. Finally. <laughs> yeah. So I've got all you know, our British friends uh, like saying, yeah, well, you've been away for like two and a half years making something. Where is it? And we're like, it's coming. It's yeah, coming. Right. Yeah. And it's great. I mean, let me tell you, I, cause I, I've fun f- peek behind the curtain. Our most downloaded episode of all time is strangely eight legged freaks. We've done wow. fucking 20 Stephen King films. We've done all this stuff. And for some reason, eight legged freaks is the one. And I've gotten to talk to David and he's, you know, been very supportive of our show. And so I've been following this journey and I've been so excited. And you know, when you finally see something that you've been waiting for, how are you sometimes you're just like, Oh, this is like the wind gets sucked out of you. It was the opposite. Mm-hmm. I felt like the ride I went on with this movie. And for those of you who are like, oh, this is a horror podcast. Why are you talking about wrestling? Two things get me by. One, the word kill is in the title. And two, there is a clip from Scream in the film. So it's horror. Boom. I would also argue with supporting you, uh, argue against the haters that there are probably two sequences that I would say dip into sort of like a genre, like a horror genre. Oh, Um, yeah especially with the way it's presented and the the soundtrack and like the kind of menace and just like the uncomfortable feeling that I don't know when I was cutting it with Paul Rogers, the, the specific moment that is, it's basically enter, enter hell. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that's the, that, I mean, that's not going to be on a horror podcast. I don't know what it is. You know? Truly there are the uh, two instances that come to mind. There's a, some form of an injury, and there's some form of therapy. And those evoked a visceral sense of unease from me, which it wasn't exploitative. You know, I always talk about on the show, like when it comes to horror movies so often, I'm sure you've seen this too, where it's like, oh, we're going to kill the dog. Oh, we're going to kill the kid. Yeah. And then that's the movie. And it's like, okay, but that's cheap. That's easy. Yeah. It's not easy to show somebody going through something. And it's very cathartic in a weird way. Yeah, I guess that was, we knew that, knew that like David's commitment anyway. And so like just giving like sort of so much access and stuff in like, I guess, as far as like intimate filmmaking, you know, you have to kind of lay, lay your life on the, on the line. Cause you've seen his dick multiple times, right? Yeah. Like constantly. It's, <laughs> a, it's, it's, dude, it's that thing's got an elbow. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a yeah. It's a, if you want to feel inadequate, like check out his dick. Um, <laughs> no, but he, he, uh, he's a blessed, the blessed man. There we go. Yeah. But you kind of, you know, you end up with so much intimacy. So I guess like he knew that the ride was going to show everything and, Hopefully the viewer would, you know, I guess engage in that and want to want him to succeed because he's been he's let us have so much access. Because my my, I mean, to be honest, my fear from the start was 
he's a Hollywood actor. Yeah. Why does anyone want to care? Why, why should anyone care about someone who's yeah. already made it, you know, was a, an it's couple in the nineties with Courtney, you know, they were the original Brangelinas, you know, the kind of, uh, truly of the nineties. And, um, and like, you know, he's already made his wealth and all that kind of stuff. So you have the success. So why, if, if that wanes, why should you care? And what you should care about is just like a, a human being wanting to make things right because yeah. they genuinely feel a certain way about something. And that, I think that's also the message. It's also just a, a fable about aging in Hollywood, really. I think it's that's a huge like, wow. element that I really enjoyed because yeah. I had just interviewed Eva Haberman last month and she was oh, talking about being in, like a middle-aged woman and how everything dries up. And it's like, you know, he's not old enough to be Jeff Bridges and he's not young exactly. enough to be David Arquette from when Eight-Legged Freaks were around. And yeah, so- exactly. The, the, you know, the, the, the leading leading person roles are pretty narrow, and especially in like genre because it's so archetypally yeah. based. You know, you can get these maybe auteur, auteur movies that would dig into like real people or characters. Yeah. So that's something, yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, I know that the appearance of having it easy, it's still tough for even like aging, aging men in Hollywood because yeah. it does dry up. The roles get very narrow and it's, I think youth sells, sex sells, and wh- when you come out of that, slightly deviate. Where do you go if your whole existence is defined by that? You know, it's tough. It's um, and that's what gets where his wrestling passion came in because that was so obvious that that would drive the film. Yeah, you know, like a true passion, rather than it just being like, oh, it's just some like you know, vanity thing, which is exactly what I thought at the beginning when the when they when they came, the project came to me. It was mainly because maybe you could put a, a put of a put a bit of a genre spin on this because it potentially could be seen as a very kind of superficial vanity project. Yeah, and like you know, you just have to put three years into something. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's an incredible amount of time, but it's such a, a lengthy journey that you go on with this guy. And what I think is really impressive. Oh, sorry, in case you're wondering, this is a this is a mega mug, an extreme <laughs> mug. It's 64 ounce, just Holy water shit. and ice. But it's like if you want to hydrate, these are the these are the bad. This is not even a large one. There's a hundred ounce version. <laughs> Why? I love America. I lo- like you got to love America, man. Yeah. So when you were pitching, you know, you're you're taking your shot and you're saying everything. You say to David, you have to look worse than you've ever looked. Yeah, and that I think- was the opening. That that was my opening line on the call. So we did a we did a uh, a call at Riot Films back in the day, which the project ended up separating from them, but they were great in the beginning. Yeah. Um, with that Bryn Musa, who's a producer and the owner of um, XTR. Um, but that was my opening line. I was like, look, the, the only way this is going to work is you have to look the worst you've ever looked yeah. and it's going to be brutal. And he was like, and Narquette was like, yeah, I fucking love that. <laughs> so he knew, he, he he knew, you know, he's a he's an experienced filmmaker and actor and he sort of knows you got to got to dig that trough. Yeah. You know, that trough is going to be dug even for like a sort of a man with celebrity, you know. But also you don't go too far to the point of Rocky too. Like that's everybody talks <laughs> shit about like Rocky five with Tommy Gunn. That's not the worst one at all. The worst mm. one is two because it's just like, A, I don't need to see him beat Apollo. That doesn't matter to me. And B, it's just awful. And you feel like shit for 90% of that movie. This movie has so many little ebbs and flows, minor victory, minor defeat, major defeat, minor victory. And it's so dynamic for a movie that could, you could easily see this being incredibly one note and be like, uh-huh. I get it. His life sucks. What's next? And so you did a really great job yeah. with that. Thanks, buddy. I mean, that was like the edit was really hard. We had 270 hours of footage. <laughs> no. So yeah. And um it was like, yeah, it was like it was pretty, it was hardcore, man, because obviously there's so many ways you could go. There's like infinite possibilities. Yeah. I mean, there was a there was a basic sort of skeleton 
plan. But then we had so many like sub, like sort of B and C stories that were feeding in. Yeah. His best friend, Jerry, who was a cop. Super you know, interesting. Super interesting. We had, we had so much footage on the cutting room floor of him. Like it was just like gold. It could have just, I mean, the, the buddy movie, Mexican uh, second act yeah. sequence, which is probably one of my favorites. I love it. That, that could have been an hour easily. Easily. We had like an hour of like gold, not even just random footage, like edited, constructed David going to church with luchadors in Mexico and like, like all this insane shit. We're like, this is like, it's, we, but at the same time, we're like, there's not enough for a series. It is one note and we've got enough to make an absolute killer. Like, yeah, like you say, a sort of, uh, sort of emotionally deviating um, yeah. an interesting act. Ac- I mean, I still refer to it as like an action movie doc or yeah. a Rocky, Rocky docky. Very it. much so. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying that there's anything beyond kayfabe or anything like it, it is. Obviously, these things happen, but the structure gives it the story elements of one of those movies. And what's interesting is the subject matter being, you know, this falsified or, or, or at least arranged athletic competition to create that and facilitate that. It felt really good because it got to be both within and without. It was theatrical, but it was accurate. And I really enjoyed that. Was that hard for you to strike that kind of balance when it came to yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's good you picked up on that. It was it was pretty difficult. I mean, it, it definitely went as with all my, you know, it's my first movie, so, and you've got a lot, of, you know, you have. It wasn't. It was still a tech, you know, t- technically a low budget indie movie. Yeah. So you're still, you know, and the Arquettes were the primary financiers and the and the subject. So you kind of got a little bit of a sort of circle there. Yeah. So it was quite hard to find sort of objective kind of feedback from from them. Yeah, of course. But the thing is, once the once the audiences, once we started testing it with like audiences, uh, and like we started actually being able to like license music, like the Carly Simon, the Limp Biscuit, all that stuff. I knew that like I knew this had to like cook and have its own like identity. Yeah. Once it started like yeah, once it started to play the audiences, everyone's like, oh, this is this is not what we expected. This is like this is a, I mean, Christina Arquette, his wife, who's a producer and in the film. The first we showed the first hour of test scenes, and she was like, "This isn't a doc. This is a movie. What the hell? What the? she did? They kind of didn't realize, but it's in like the opening line of the treatment. But no one really knows. Like, it's all a film. So how does that? How does that portray? And it's we're capturing real life, but it's executed in a way that feels familiar for people who love genre or love um, a human interest story or you know, just an action movie, a sports. I mean, I still, I mean, there's so many. There's a sequence in Mexico where we just took. We just took the Karate Kid soundtrack. Yeah, I love <laughs> it's it. Like, it's just like so much fun, man. Like, I mean, Albertson is like one of my favorite directors. So just being able to like reference someone who was my hero. Yeah. Which is super cool. That's a great point is adding that dynamism and making sure it's theatrical and fun. Because one thing I was watching when I'm watching this, the easiest comparison is Dark Side of the Ring which is an amazing docu-series, but that is not what your movie is at all. Was it hard? Because that show, first episode is April 10th, 2019. You're way past done. Like you've finished recording everything by then. And now when you're cutting it, you have to kind of distinguish yourself from something that's become very popular. The honest answer, and I'm not saying this to try and be cool, I never saw it. Okay, there you uh, go. <laughs> purely because I was like, when it came out, we were like, ah, oh, fuck. Yep. However... The feedback I heard from every wrestler was that this series is trash. It pays. It plays a one note. It's a sort of a yeah. It, you know we, what we tried to what we tried to create was actually like you know David Arquette's like initial brief at the beginning was like look man this has to be a love letter to wrestling and this is like yeah and like that's so I think that that was more of uh, I guess the 
the theme for our film rather than like an expose of, you know, the darkness and which is all interesting because it's dramatic. It's like yeah. death themes, it's drug addiction, which I knew about. Child sort of abuse, the I had no idea about, which is totally I mean, rebukes the uh, born with a silver spoon in your mouth kind of idea too. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, and also you get these similarities. I mean, there was, um, uh, Sheila Buff movie mm. with the wrestlers that played very well at Sundance. So occasionally things come out, but you know, like wrestling's in vogue again. So it's sort of we knew that, yeah, just from like patterns of like fashion and culture, like that wrestling was probably having a bit of a resurgence, and all these independent scenes, which I knew nothing about, was kind of the most interesting. Like I don't know, me and Dog kind of fell back in love with it all. Oh yeah, and like the bar wrestling scene in LA, I definitely I, that was my favorite. Joey just Ryan, kind of, RJC, yeah. Oh, the cabaret kind of element of it. Um, oh yeah. And just like, the, and the, the comedy, cause I'm, I'm like a comedy, I'm really a comedy director. So when wrestling becomes the fun and the heightened funny, that's rather than just like pure butch guys acting. Exactly. I think that's what, that's when it, it's just, that's, it's real identity for me is, is like, it's fun. It's the crowd's interaction. It's not just uh, a heel and a, and a yeah. baby face. It's got like more kind of, um, and more entertainment. I guess. Yeah, I guess dynamism because you're dealing yeah. with people on multiple levels. Like, like look at RJ City, beautiful person. Legend. I Funny love him. As well. Send me the fucking the pin of uh, hey guy, what are you? Some kind of piece of shit or something? And I'm so grateful <laughs> that my two year old can't read because I still wear that almost every day. But like the, the way that he presents on YouTube and stuff, there's so many layers of is this kayfabe? Is this not? Is this? And it makes it fun. Like look at MJF. Like dude, that guy is hated and loved because he's hated. Look at Jack Perry, who you feature very much at the end of the film. Like these are oh, guys yeah, who created this whole new resurgence of wrestling. Did you just see his entrance Fuck. Uh, uh, to the, to the um, jungle? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's so funny. Fucking love I that kid. so hard, man. I can't remember the, um, what the, what the show was, but I just saw that, that clip came out as hilarious. He's so good. Very and like, fun. it's this new generation who get to look at like the pitfalls of stuff like WCW and like, there's a whole new demographic here. Sorry, I'm going off on the rails, but my cousin-in-law okay. <laughs> is the sweetest kid you've ever met. His name is Kemper. And he like, if I meet him and he's like seven and I'm like, oh, I haven't really watched wrestling since, you know, back in WCW. And he's like, oh, did you like Rey Mysterio? Were you more of a Billy Kidman guy? And I'm like, what the fuck? YouTube. Nice. And so you get to hit so you hit nostalgia, you hit contemporary. Was that something that you had like got lost in the weeds in at any point? Because I imagine there's a wealth of information you could put. That was something that was, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, I know David Arquette was very interested in the telling the kind of history of wrestling as well. Yeah. For myself and dog, I know it was just like, it was kind of like one layer too much because we just didn't want it to be like, we didn't want it to come off as like a, an HBO 30 for 30. Yeah, that's a good point. And like kind of do a very dry newsreel style. Well, this is wrestling originating in carnivals. You know, yeah. it's just, this it is, is a it smart is. mark. Think, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, I guess stripping all of that out and just making about a man who feels like he's failed and tries to succeed slash overcome in a world that happens to be also acting in its own capacity, which is, you know, there's a lot of like irony involved in it. And I Isn't guess it that's, though? Um, yeah, yeah like the irony is hilarious. And that's what, in the, in the beginning, I was like, that's one of the things that hooked us in because it was so funny. What's amazing is like <laughs> Eric Bischoff kind of apologizes to him at one point, And I'm like, why? David Arquette is the most perfect heel ever. Like, I don't understand how people can hate him. And this isn't just because I like the guy. As I was a kid, I was a WCW fucking fanatic, right? And 
the fact that it pisses you off makes it effective. So it is not that he killed wrestling. It's that he was so fucking effective at it that he breaks people's brains. Yeah, exactly that. I totally agree. And that's something that like David, we, we never, I never got a true sound bite in the film or it just never fitted into the edit. But like, you know, he always like David, I always realized, you know, to be hated is to be loved. Yeah. So in, in wrestling. So I think like ultimately he realizes that after, after the journey. Exactly. Yeah. And sort of like, you know, that's part of it. It's like the, it's the, it's the crowd response, the yeah. call and response. And, um, you know, and I think that's ironic in itself, you know, and it's sort of a, it's kind of a funny, funny message, really. Well, yeah, because you do, I mean, even though you didn't get the soundbite, you do a very good job of showing that shift because it starts off with his early exploits where it's very mean-spirited. Even the other performers, very mean-spirited and what they're saying is hurtful and aggressive, but then there's tenderness at the end of it. And it's like these things, yeah. it's almost like your penance, like we're putting you through the ringer to prove you're one of us. And by the end, he's exactly. back where he started in a complete, I mean, a huge dynamic shift. And so I have to ask yeah. you this. We live in COVID world now. How fortunate is it that you had the two years before instead of now? Because if you were here, you I mean, wouldn't have a movie to do. Dude, I mean, like so, so many kind of like mixed emotions, really, because we are lucky we had it. We had it wrapped like Christina made it, you know, made it so that we were wrapped before we were wrapped for Sundance. We, were, we presented to Sundance and then we got into South by we we're going to we had this like big opening Saturday with us in the Beastie Boys dock. Yeah. So it was going to be us. And um, I think John Carpenter was going to be there. And I was just like super excited. And and obviously then a week before South by Southwest, it all kind of went tits up. Yeah. But yeah, man, we were, we were just super lucky. We were completely wrapped and we were just into sales then. And I, I can't imagine if, if we had like, even if we had finished, you know, production and, and we were into post-production, it would have been a nightmare. It would have been yeah. an absolute nightmare. And I, I mean, I, I sat on a couch I laid out on a couch for 21 weeks every day for like eight hours a day with Paul Rogers. And, you know, it was like, a, and I, I can't imagine doing that remotely. <laughs> I mean, now I'm yeah. a bit better because you kind of, after, after eight months of it, exactly. the technology, you know, you get used to it. But yeah, I mean, interaction is everything, isn't it? It's a nightmare. Well, it sterilizes everything, right? Because it's already through one veil and then, you know, just with one screen and you put a second screen in between there and, there's a laxity when it comes to these kind of conversations that I don't think a lot of people realize. Like the delayed response prevents this the synergy of normal conversation. And that's one of the things that's really great about a tight edit like you have. There's a ton of substance, but you also let it breathe. So I think a lot of people don't do that in documentaries. It's either very analytical or very dramatic to the point where I'm like, can you please get a thimble full of information in this fucking thing? And yeah. that was something that was very impressive. And I think that tonally, with a negative headspace that a lot of people have been in, this could really easily be a very different documentary with that kind of scope or lens. Yeah, yeah that's a really good point. I mean, it's, everything is like nuanced and subjective as far as like presenting an edit. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just grateful. We, you know, you can always you can always look on the dark side and be like, oh, mm -hmm. we didn't get the South by, we didn't have our big, you know, our huge party with like bands playing and you know with a wrestling ring and all that organized it was going to be like the highlight of south by we were super excited yeah but we still got to have our film come out and neon neon picked it up released neon who did parasite and then distributed it through their new label super and we got you know we got a sale and we got a sale in england and it's on hulu now and um it's amazing so you can watch it for free which is I think so many of my, even my best friends are like, when is it free? Like, I've nothing yeah. this rental stuff. So you kind of, you know, as far as I did, was following the rental figures and Trolls 2 was the 
like the biggest rental Oof. film of the year. Yeah. Because people are renting it four times for their kids. Yep. <laughs> it's like that funny. Isn't it crazy? Mm. And it's, uh, it's so one of, funny that you mentioned that. One of the things, friends shouldn't want to get a discount, right? They should want to patronize you, but you also kind of understand it. And it's, so it's one of those difficult like tete-a-tetes where you're like, oh, well, you should patronize me more than the stranger, but also let me take it up the poop shoot and give it to you for free. <laughs> yeah, it's like every friend who's ever put on a party or or a DJ, you know, a DJ or a band and like they need it. For, yeah, they need their friends to come and support. But then you're like, well, you're not going to hook me up. I mean, it's a two way. Exactly right. Two- I've been in enough <laughs> yeah. shitty bands to know what ticket presales are. And I still yeah. have a vendetta against very, very many friends. Yeah, exactly. And on the topic of music, you did a fuck ton of music videos that are all very fun. And as I told you, I have 20 songs stuck in my head right now because I listen to them all. And Hilarious. you have fucked up my YouTube algorithm for the next month because it's only oh, going to be sorry. playing Gossip and yeah, Beth yeah, yeah. Ditto, who I'd never even heard of until researching you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they kind of, uh, I've done a lot with Beth and, and Gossip. But I mean, like, yeah, I was, I, was, I was doing music videos for about 12 years. And it's just like, it's so much fun. I mean, like, I, I'll still do them if, if like Beth or someone comes back to me. But um, it's definitely like a different energy because it's so, <laughs> there's so much work for, you can't really... You can't really live off it. So it's either, unfortunately, it's like rich kids. It's rich kids making music videos now, really. Yeah. Or people who can afford to work on something for six months, you know, in their own time and take all the budget. Because that's the problem is that the industry kind of dropped out of it. Even yeah. though there's so much, you know, there's so much great work being done now. You just can't support yourself. Um, well, because everybody's putting out their stuff for free, basically, like this is my promo reel, hire me. And so you'll see these amazing student directors and these amazing editors and stuff, and they're doing it all for free. And that's how you're able to achieve it is that this is not sustainable. And that's a very unfortunate byproduct of the digital age. Yeah, um, it's one of those things. It's kind of, but if you're lucky enough to catch some some heat and some fire, yeah. And you do. I mean, that's how I started. I I got signed off MySpace to like Ridley Scott's company. You know, when I was really? 27. Yeah, it was yeah. such a random story. I was like, I made three music videos. The first one for 111 pounds, <laughs> just shot, and that was all food. That's like feeding feeding the band. Holy for like shit! Two days. Um, yeah, and the second video was like 3,000 pounds. And then the fourth one was four. And then on the third one, I got signed to like, I was like, what? I was like, Rick and Ridley Scott, like it's hilarious. So I never had to do the schlepping of the reel and all that stuff. It was very much, you know, I just knew that, oh, it would be cool to like get signed from MySpace because Arctic Monkeys have just done that. Yeah. You know, back in the day. And I was like, oh, it'd be cool to get, you know, do that as a director. And that's kind of what I did. But um, it was all very accidental. And it's kind of like, you know, fondness thinking about it or like how naive you sort of are when you first start something. Right. That's actually uh, Don Cascarelli, the director of Phantasm and Beastmaster. He wrote a fantastic book called True Indie, and he talks about his experience very similar to the way you just did, where he's like, "Hey, just kind of fell into it," and I was like, "This isn't how normal people do it. This is amazing." Like, and it's so interesting to see that dynamic shift in your work product. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that your music video history is also rife with men in spandex. I appreciate that continuity. In your crap, it's like your, your calling card, right? <laughs> I do. I've done a lot of dance videos. I love it. So it's, yeah, it's like it's it's definitely like a fashion go to. I think for like for pop stars, you know, you put the backing dancers in like spandex and <laughs> you just make make everything tight, and it's everything will be okay. Hell yeah! <laughs> Bagginess, you lose the physical form and the allure of a giant bulge. Am I right? Yeah, you know, you know the score. And so uh, we started with it. We're in true artistic form. We're going to go back to it. 
I need to talk about how much I love the action man stuff before I let you oh, leave. Sick, man. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm so glad you like that. It blows my fucking mind. Like there is so many times in my life where I have found media where I'm like, is this the Truman Show? Was this made for literally just me and no one else on earth? And I, that literally was my reaction watching this. Is like, this is sardonic and it is visceral and it is also incredibly insightful. Could you talk to us about that process of? So yeah, yeah go for I it. I mean, oh yeah, it's probably one. Of, I mean, it's one of my favorite things I've ever done. You know, yeah. the Arquette movie, the Action Man uh, short. Uh, I think I sent you like a shit disco video. That's probably one of my. That was like my third video. So I got signed up. <laughs> so I kind of, it's always going to be have a place in my heart. But um, yeah, the Action it, Man. It's the beat, my, right? Uh, yeah, and Simi Mabel Disco. Yeah, that's a that's a great one. Yeah, so basically, my friend Darren, who who was actually Segway, he was the drummer in Shit Disco. Oh. He sort of ended up becoming an amazing artist, a sort of outsider artist, uh, sort of dealing in like satirical advertising in England, and he made these amazing Action Man toys. Yeah, and I went to his his private view, and. I was like, dude, I have to make a commercial. I have to make a film for these. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So he's a sick writer. We sort of like worked on it together. He wrote an amazing, amazing voiceover. And then um, it came together. It was very, very low budget. And I always sort of knew that like, oh, Matt Barry, Matt, Matt, Matt Barry should do this. Like he's like my favorite voice. And he has, he, I mean. He's the voice. Toast, yeah. Yeah. Like Toast is about his voice. So exactly. It it's funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll tell you. I'll yes, tell I can what, hear you, Clem Fandango. Yeah, <laughs> release the nuclear missiles. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when, yeah, well, I mean, when he when his agent said that he wanted to do it, I was just like, shut the bed because we had a list of like, you know, um, we had uh, Patrick Stewart and all these like the list, <laughs> yes. was, the list was insane, but like Barry was just right at the top. Yeah, um, and his demographic is perfect for this. Yeah, it's just like everything's perfect, and I think that he knew it as well. Yeah, and I even got him to like give me some voice, like record some things for my for, for like to send to my friends, just insulting them. Perfect. Like, uh, I even got one of him like going "fuck you, David Dar." <laughs> <laughs> like it's like, I'm like, and everyone's like, "this isn't really him." I was like, "yeah, it's fucking Matt Berry." They're like, "oh my god, yes. we're all such Garth Marenghi uh, Dark Place fans, of course." But you know, the Action Man short, yeah, it just. Um, it all the sort of alchemy happened, you know. The, the the art directors on it were incredible, and it yeah, we it was quite fast prep. We we prepped in about seven weeks. We shot it over three days. It's quite hard getting the casting because the the material was so adult. Yeah, but actually, the parents of these kids were very much like loving the theme of the. You know, it's all about it's like highlighting veterans getting basically shunned and thrown away after they've done their service. So yeah. it's like we, we sort of explore those kind of a PTSD, the sort of benefits cancellation, and um, and just like and the, the button in it was the sort of posthumous medal giving after you've died. You know, yeah. oh, as if that would make it better. But I think yeah, like tonally it was amazing, and the edit was great, and uh, it was just like the most fun I've ever had working on a on like a piece of art or whatever and it did really well it was in south by southwest as well we won like a a short audience award from rider strong he you know he put it in some category so yeah we're just really lucky man and we just got like six six and a half nearly seven million views and just from a little short film it's kind of you know just and it's one of the reasons i got to do the arquette film basically yeah you um, represent your next project and then your next and yeah. i think this is a great point and this is something i i caught when i was watching arquette because I'd, I'd watch the action man first and as i'm watching i'm like oh this is perfect this guy gets the tone because you are highlighting you're not mocking 
you are not making fun of these subjects. You are highlighting them and showing the absurdity of them. And it's the same yeah. thing you do with Arquette's tortures. We're like the absurdity that this silly you know, parade is such a grotesque part of this man's psyche, but it's not exploitative. It's a, I, I'm really a fan. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, yeah, it's nice you pick up on. I mean, I guess the the sort of the, the layers of irony and the the you know, the, it's a classic you know the the tragedy comedy line, which is something that I'm I sort of dance with, try and dance the line. I guess, um, I mean, I guess all comedy is just tragedy, but just packaged slightly differently. It's right, all, it's all the same pain, really. Well, because think um, about it from the guy's perspective who gets the pie in the face. That is a tragedy. If you're on the side yeah. of the person throwing the pie, it's a comedy. Yeah. And so it's all yeah. perspective shift. All perspective completely. So it's like, and I think those perspectives are sort of, especially with like wrestling and whether it's, um, whether it's, you know, dolls reenacting mm -hmm. very, very dark aspects of human nature uh, and uh, society, or it's a man in a, in a sort of pantomime world, but suffering these crazy demons. You got, once you've got those, those layers working together, you're always gonna have something kind of amazing. It's, um, and I guess it's that dance. The dance is the hard bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's, but you know, you can always sort of tell what's, um, you know, uh, what's going to be effective as far as mixing those two together. That's kind of my favorite. I guess that's my lane. My lane is kind of like so funny, sad, sad, <laughs> sad and silly. And like maybe slight parody of, I mean, I'm a huge action movie buff. That's kind of my, my lane. I'm more excited to kind of get, get going with that. Really. Well, it has a, a huge degree of objectivity. Right, because you're able to supplant subjective experience with objective veritas, if you will. You know, like that—that's what the whole goal of filmmaking is generally to find like the essence of something. And so that's one of the things is it's very hard. I grew up watching wrestling. I saw David Arquette win that title live. I have a much different experience than somebody who finds it as a LARP on YouTube 20 years later. But the objective elements of the way that you edit and the way that you film and the way that you storytell are able to supplant that. So I get to be put in the same position as Kemper, who wasn't even born when Arquette won the title. So yeah. th that's huge. Yeah, I guess that's, that's, that's interesting as well. I mean, painting a story is like you are stripping it down to the basic elements, you know, removing any sort of bias. Yeah. And then ultimately letting the viewer come along for a ride. Because I guess, you know, for you to even stay with a protagonist for, like, you know, for 90 minutes, which isn't, actually goes, goes by pretty quickly. Really does, <laughs> yeah. But you know, you but you can have a scene last three minutes and it's dull as dishwater. So it's like, how do you keep momentum going? How do you stay with the main main protagonist? And we, you know, it was a hard edit. It was like, yeah, you know, like I said, it was you know infinite possibilities. We had we had a killer hour at the beginning. Then it became the second edit was like two and a half hours. That was slow as hell. We stripped it all back. Still had that one hour. So we knew that there was one hour mm -hmm. killer. Yeah, killer, 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 no filler and. That was something we worked on super hard, but it was the it was just the constructing of the some of the origin stuff that we struggled with. The dog was great with actually some of the first 15, 16 minutes. Yeah. Which is, I guess, a bit more traditional documentary origins, you know, the, the just to kind of keep you up to date with who he was. Like I speak to someone all the time and they're like, I don't know who David Arquette is because they, they're not old enough. Yeah. So you just want to make, you know, give an every man and then at 15 minutes in, you're you're along for the ride. And that's part of the theme of the movie is he is somewhat irrelevant because partially of this gimmickry with wrestling where he basically gets subjugated and cast aside, you know? Yeah, I had never even thought about the fact that he was in that Vanity Fair spread with the likes of Brad Pitt and all of these guys that are supposed to be his peers who just flew past him 
I mean, it was very obvious, like, yeah, the, the, the sort of the big guy, the big boys in that Vanity Fair cover, you know. And it's tough, you know. Sometimes life doesn't turn out as the way we, the way we plan it or the way we expect, and we have to kind of adapt or we die, you know. It's that kind of... Uh, to be honest, man, I'm just... I'm just super, super happy that we had, we made a great film yeah. and, um, and it's just, it's been going down really well. Like even the, like the Brits really like the R- Brits are really loving it. We're still waiting for some other sort of international deals. I know that in Mexico it would, it would kill. Yeah. We've got a whole the second act is pretty much all in Mexico, which is great. And it doesn't feel exploitative. And I would love to get more into like, you know, the licensure of the Lucha, but like I, if you ever want to do a sequel and you need a hype person, I'll go with you because I love Lucha. That's what got me oh, into wrestling with guys like that's Mysterio. Also, what that was the first part of it. I mean, we we had so much fun in um, Virginia with those like backstreet guys in yeah. that wood. But when we got to Mexico, man, and you and they they are flashing like government approved <laughs> licenses. Crazy. And you, I mean, we didn't really mention we did it. We had a bit in the in the story about it. It just it kind of slowed down the pace. Yeah. Um, but it was so interesting that you've got. And you got people in lucha masks. We were like filming in a Catholic church, and no one was even turned. No one was even like looking at them. They were just like, "Oh yes, yeah, luchas. Yep. You know, it's cool. You know, they're like my respect. Um, you know, they, they'd be served first at a taco stand because because they're like everyone honors the lucha. It's yeah. like this kind of like a part of their culture ingrained in it. Um, and it's quite different from you know, like I guess America, where unless you're a diehard fan, it's still considered this kind of silly like kind of pantomime. You know? Yeah. Well, I think that's something that like that Vince McMahon stole from guys like El Santo. Like he, that guy lives the gimmick. That was who he was. And then you have like Ted DiBiase, you have Ric Flair, you have these guys who live the gimmick, and they're a rare exception to the rule. And here's you know that's that is part of not only this lucha culture, but these guys like fought like that's kayfabe there, but to a just yeah. a, an extent nobody's willing to do here. Yeah, I mean, one of the best moments is actually, I don't know if you've, you've had a chance to see the deleted scenes. If you actually buy the film, there's a bunch of deleted scenes. Um, and one of the scenes that was so beautiful, it was um, we went to a luchador museum in Tijuana and and we cut it to the sort of same music from Ferris Bueller when they're in the museum. I love and it. And it's just like, yeah, it's like the, the Smiths cover. And it's, uh, it's just like so beautiful. I, it always makes me emotional because I'm like, you've got this one guy, Mundito, Kind of like looking at the, the there's a there's a the guy a who cabinet. gives him the mask, correct? Yeah, yeah. Cabinet cabinet of um of of wrestling masks, and he's like, this mask was my brother, this mask was my father, and then this mask is mine, and like and it's torn, and he's like, I lost that mask, but you know, you you fight. You, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you always keep trying. And it's just like so emotional. I was like, I was like fighting for it. It was, just, it was four minutes long. It's like, oh, if only we could have it. But it just, it definitely brought the the pacing down. But I'm still like, yeah, emotional thinking about that scene. It's just like so beautiful and like kind of powerful. That's and it's awesome. like same for anything. It's like you can live your fantasy and your fantasy can reward you in ways that you never thought were possible yeah that can kind of instruct your life in other other sort of departments and i think that's the kind of lesson that we that we knew that was like a a theme that was coming whilst whilst we started cutting that our cat was going to learn you know that it wasn't about it's you know the classic cliche but the the journey rather than the goal 
Of course, it's the catharsis. There is no end goal. There is no villain from the beginning. I mean, there is kind of, but there's not. You know, it's not working up to anything. There is no clubber Lang. He has doesn't suffer an immediate tragedy. He has a lifetime of tragedy. He has a lifetime of of struggles that he's dealing with. So it's I don't know. I really enjoyed it, and that's not just pandering because I, I have the objectivity to where I'd be like, nah, fuck this, and truly. I'm a big fan. I really enjoyed it. Uh, like you said, everybody can find it on Hulu for free. So you really have no excuse. It no is excuse. a short, tight edit, like I said. And I'm the guy who's always like, if it's not 90 minutes, you better fucking give me a blowjob because I am not going to sit through anything longer. And this is perfect. It's a great runtime. It holds your attention. The dynamic shifts, the music. I could show this to my mom who doesn't give a fuck about wrestling. I could show this to Kemper and he would squeal with me. <laughs> <laughs> that's really kind man you know that's a lot of the feedback we were getting was um yeah from people who weren't wrestling fans and that's the kind of the, we knew that the wrestling community was going to like was going to fucking vibe this movie yeah because i personally think it's it's between us and the wrestler as far as like the the greatest uh you know wrestling fan. i mean that's a, that's an argument and i love we love watching people kind of arguing oh, the yeah. pros and cons of like wrestling versus this you know um, um, I'll, I'll be completely blunt. I think this does a way more effective job because like I said, much. you know, the wrestler gets too into the Rocky two territory was like, fuck this guy like this. I'm, yeah. I'll never watch that movie again, you know, because it just, I don't feel good afterwards. I feel kind of dirty <laughs> and sad. And like, I watch someone <laughs> suffer like this weird shot yeah, in Freud. Yeah. Right. But then with this movie, I'm like, no, like I got to watch something. I got to watch an experience and I felt good at the end of it, despite seeing, like you said, truly things that are horrific. So I think that's a really yeah. great job, man. Yeah, man, no, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's just like, um, yeah, the, for the for the non wrestling fans, it was you know as it was, you know, it was a love letter to wrestling. So to kind of to try and attempt, I mean, one of the things we're interested in was, can you make someone who has never watched wrestling fall in love with it or partially fall in love with it in ninety minutes? And I think the amazing facts are like we did because people kind of like the reactions were like, oh, I didn't know anything about it. But since I watched it, I've been like digging in and watching these old clips and, yep. and then YouTube has everything now. So crazy, right? Yeah. It's just like a, yeah, it's a beautiful love letter. And so how can our patrons, our fans, our followers support you? Where can we find you and what can we look for coming up? I have an OnlyFans. Yes, <laughs> dude. <laughs> I'm a foot model. No, um, <laughs> uh, it would be hilarious. Uh, no, I'm, I'm on a, I'm on Vimeo, Price James, uh, YouTube, Price James, uh, Instagram, Fisher Price James, if you want to say hi. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of Fisher Price in jokes going around. So actually, I can I can end on a very amusing anecdote. I once made a sign for one Booker T, who I was a huge fan of, a la WCW, during the invasion angle, because The Rock had said, uh, Spinner Rooney, what is that? Something by Fisher Price. And I was defending Booker T, and nobody got it. And there you go. Fisher Price will forever be a, a huge part of my childhood and, Rock and roll, one man. of few signs <laughs> that I really wish I still had. Yes, yeah, beautiful. So thank you very beautiful. much, sir. I hope you have a great day. Yeah, uh, pleasure, man. Well, if you ever have anything else to peddle, come back. You always have a, a home here. No, I really, really appreciate it. And like, yeah, just um, so glad you you liked the movie. And uh, thanks for, you know, and you liked uh, Action Man, Battlefield Casualties. No, no, yeah, I, tell, I did not you, like it. I loved it. Uh, yeah, like that's what people should watch. Go and watch uh, Action Man. You can even put it. You can put it up on your on your page, whatever you want to do with it. Um, I'd love just to spread the love. Awesome, cool. And here you go. 
you got that one clip, enjoy another. These are our friends over at the Damn That Scary podcast and what they thought of Poultry Guys. All right, the chicken did whatever the subtitle is. Damn, that's scary. Hello, is this Jake from State Farm? No, 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 no. I know who you are. You're the Slasher Boys. How the how are the Slashers doing? My name is Micah. I don't know if you guys know who I am or not. I'm on this show called Damn! That's scary. That's right. See, we're over here in the New Yorks. I know you guys are in the Californias. And it's kind of just like... We're in the 90s right now with the West and the East and the shooting and the rapping and the baka, baka, baka. I'm a better rapper than you and all that stuff. But guess what? We're not doing that right now. We are talking trauma. And I am just so excited to collab with you guys this month, March, which will officially be trauma month forever in the history in the veils of horror. Troma is so dear and special and important to me. I discovered Troma back when I was just a wee lad before I had any hairs on my sack from watching USA Up All Night because I had a huge crush on Ronda, Ronda Shear. And uh, Gilbert Gottfried, you know, he didn't really do it for me that much as much as Ronda did. I do like that Ronda. I'm a big fan of boobs. Will and Greg, who are my other co-hosts, are not here right now, so I guess I'm kind of speaking for the three of us. I don't know how they feel about this movie Poultry Geist that you're reviewing, though. Guys, I am, first of all, I just want to say that I am so happy that we're doing this together and that we're, this is a great bonding experience for all of us, for ourselves and for our fans. Now, Poultry Geist. Poultry Geist is one of those movies that I just love so much but fucking hate it at the same time, man. Now, I have a reason for that. Let me paint a little picture for you. Go back and pick... Uh, I just want you to picture this, all right? It's 2006. I moved from Erie, Pennsylvania, which is I, just a little, a little backwoods town kind of, you know, uh, very, very whatever just is backwards you know i think they just got lady gaga i'm pretty sure they just got high def so moving to buffalo was kind of a culture shock for me but i was also alone i didn't really have anybody uh one of the first people that i befriended was the bass player from cannibal corpse the old bass player the guy that was fat in the ace ventura movie uh who eventually had the gastric bypass and was skinny and i he was telling me that i uh, he was he was an extra in this film Poultrygeist. And I was like, yo, Poultrygeist sounds awesome. What is it? He's like, it's trauma. Lloyd Kaufman was in town. It was here in Buffalo. And more like, I, the longer I live here, the more like I learn that I know every fucking extra in this movie. And it just chaps my ass so much that I wasn't a part of this. I mean, my friend Alex was on there. My friend Sherry was on there. I, I met people at a convention recently uh, before all this COVID bullshit happened and kind of blew up in our faces. I met people recently where they were just, they gave us their own stories of being extras on Poultrygeist. Uh, Poultrygeist was a huge thing here in Buffalo at the time. I know the budget was like 500000 and I think it made like five bucks. But I mean, that's either here nor there. You know how that shit goes. Whatever, man. Curtains. You look at Curtains, that Canadian horror film. I think it, uh, it had like 10 people saw it back in 83. And now everyone knows what Curtains is. Everyone. Yeah, uh, poultry guys. Yeah, back on this movie. Uh, what's there to love about it? It's awesome. It's gory as shit. It's hilarious. It's a musical. I love that so much. 
the dude that played Arby was awesome. I, I I think the only thing he did was this, and then he had a small part in uh, the found footage anthology VHS. Uh, I mean, like, dude, what are you doing, man? Go uh, go out there. Make yourself a thing. You're a big fucking nerdy, scrawny dude who could get typecast in parts like uh, McLovin and shit. Keep it going, man. I mean, the movie also has uh, Joe Fleshaker, that uh, that big, fat, tubby-lubby piece of shit, uh, that fat fuck that gave uh, Lloyd Kaufman a bunch of money just so he could be in it, and the whole joke is, I'm fat, so it's funny, but you know what, man? I'm okay with that. I think that's hilarious. Uh, his death scene with everything spraying out of his ass and a chicken crawling out of his ass was just fucking great. Loved it so much. Uh, what is there not to love about a motion picture that has my number one crush? Maybe not my number one crush. Maybe my number three, four, five crush. Debbie Rashawn, who I got to meet at a, a film convention where she watched a couple of my movies, and I just fawned over her the whole time when she told me that I was good in some stuff. And that was pretty much it. And I was like, Debbie, you have great boobs. I uh, Dude, Lloyd Kaufman... He really fucking brought it to the dance in this one. I, I thought the movie was very well done. Uh, it was it was fun. It had all the little trauma tropes. I loved it. I know Will and Greg, they both love it. And you know what else? I know that you guys over there at Slasher, I know you loved it, and I know the fans love it too. On our end here, we're starting off the month with Terror Firmer, my personal favorite trauma flick. Anyways, guys, I'll let you guys get to doing what you're doing. Check us out over at Damn That Scary. Love you guys. We'll check in with you next week, babe. Mwah. And ooh, remember, keep it spooky. And now the clip show is over. We're done here for today. Before we move on to the rest of the month's festivities when it comes to Troll March, uh, do we have any closing remarks on uh, Poultry Geist and the subtitle I shan't remember. Yeah, so one thing I definitely like to say, like I said, this was my um, th- this came out in two thousand six, but I was obsessed with trauma when ta- when I first seen Toxic Avenger, like that was around high school, and I waited and I waited and I waited for this to be released, and it was just taken forever. And I remember I wanted there was there was this uh, campaign online. It's like oh you know submit your uh, submit some sort of video and you could be a chicken zombie for the film, and I submitted. And I, I was in high school at the time, but I wanted to drive out to, to Buffalo, New York so bad to be in this fucking movie. Because you were Ohio and, at the uh, time? I was in Ohio, yeah. Oh. So it wasn't too far of a drive, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't drive. I was like, I think it was like a freshman in high school. Yeah, for closing remarks on that, too, I definitely love to say, that, like, like I said, it's not my favorite trauma film. Because this one def- definitely has the overacting galore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which which comes off as too campy for me. Because if you go back and watch like Class Nukem High and Toxic Avenger, they're not like that, where it's not like constant winking at the camera. Uh, an hour and 10 minutes into the film, it's basically just a dead, it's basically dead alive. Yeah. The finale of that. Because it's it's nonstop gore effect after gore effect after gore effect. And uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, too. The, uh, the the good reference to aliens at the end when they go into that freezer and it's all the alien eggs and, you know, uh, they got to find the little girl there. So the basically, uh, yeah, the new uh, basically what I like to say is like Terra Firmer, Poultry Geist is the ADHD film of, uh, you know, musical gore comedies. Hell yeah. Adam, aid anything? I got to say, uh, this brought me back to a time I was actually living out in the Midwest, right? In Ohio, I think I was probably living 10 minutes away from Doug back then when this came out. And it, it just there. Were, it was dark times out there. It was it was a rough place to live. And horror was just such uh, just a solace for me. And I remember reading about this in Fangoria and when it came out. And it's always going to hold that 
special place for me. Like, it, it's not the best trauma film, but out of the ones I've seen, it does very much hold a special place in my heart that's covered in shit and like egg slime and feathers and gore. Yeah, it's it's fine. I mean, you know, <laughs> 2006, I graduated high school. I don't even I I was so full of myself back then. I probably never would have even thought to watch this. I've always loved horror, but this never even crossed my mind until now. Obviously, I'm 32 now. Yay. Now we know how old I am. Um, <laughs> when I was talking to Carlos about the same thing, because I was one of our the greatest of the mutant goons of beyond is Carlos. We're talking to him about I have a huge blind spot in the 2000s because I was just too prissy. To, I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not going to debase myself by watching The Conjuring. And then I was like, oh, I fucking <laughs> missed out on The Conjuring. What a fucking idiot I was. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, is it's 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 cute. I like that it exists because now you know why I'm such a bitch about my eyebrows. Because if you remember the early 2000s, all the girls like pluck them to a thin line. And that's why I have none and I have to draw them on. And that's what's <laughs> So if well, you that, watch, that's cool. That's like the East LA <laughs> Chola look. I know, but yeah, well, yeah, the Chola lip still liner, do dude. Like yeah, exactly. But Use my the thing same is- marker for your eyebrows as you do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So it, it was fine. It, is it my favorite trauma? No, I've watched three this week. No, it's not. It's not my favorite, unfortunately. So what's in it's the lead not- so far? I probably would say Tara Firmer is in the lead. As terrible as that sounds, and now everyone's going to know I'm a weirdo. But yes. All the more reason that you should head over to our friends at Damn That Scary Pod and find out what we said about that movie there. And now Mm -hmm. I need to ask, where can we find all of that merchandise that Adam designs and puts on some website for us and stuff? Where do we do that? Anybody. Yes. Adam, you're muted. yeah, you, Adam's muted here. <laughs> but we can, we can, you can go over to Redbubble.com. Yes. That's right. Extra Red credit Bubble. to Doug for saving the day. Yeah, put in Slasher's Pod, and you'll find all this wonderful merch. Like, like uh, you'll find some clocks with the slashers and all four of our faces on there, so you can wax our carrot to our faces while you're, you're about to go to sleep. Then you got shirts. You got mugs. You got every sort of thing you want for the Slasher's Pod. It's crazy. It's insane. Uh, buy the stuff here. Uh, that was my Lloyd Coffin impersonation. So yes, please, please give us, please give us your money. We're starving. We're unemployed. Well, for the most part, I am. <laughs> I did this sexy voice and everything. Oh, I know. I was so excited. I could, I could see it in your face that you were doing your sexy voice. I had sultry eyes. Well, well give it, give us your sexy voice. It's forced now. Yeah. No, just well, just tell them where well, we can find you. Instagram. Yeah, there you go. Well, <laughs> also a uh, shameless plug for the Patreon. If you're a Patreon person, you can find actually a video of our show on through that. So if you want to see the very alluring expression on Adam's face when we can all tell he's doing that goddamn sexy voice again, even if we can't hear it, you know, it's a great opportunity that you only get behind a paywall. Sorry. Sign up. It's awkward as fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh my god, I'm flicking my bean to that voice. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So before we go, I just want to throw one shout out. This is a personal story here about poultry, guys. So so there's a line in the film that's thrown out a few times by by Arby. Um, it's the shit-covered mongoloid line. He's like, he's like, Oh, I th- she treats me like I'm a shit-covered mongoloid. So my buddy Kevin, who who listens to, he's one of the my actor friends, but he listens to the show. Um, so we went to the screening of a film. 
And uh, he was being loud and obnoxious and he was getting, and then the security came and started kicking the shit out of him and kicking him out of the theater. And uh, he, he turns to me, he's like, Doug, why are they beating me up? Like I'm a shit covered mongoloid. Wow. And this was like right after we, we watched poultry guys. And so shit covered mongoloid is, is the term. So if you're getting kicked and beaten by the cops, just remember, it's like, why are you beating me? Like I'm a shit covered mongoloid. And if you could hear the word mongoloid without thinking of Devo, you're a better man than I. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we got Doug at Doug Bizarro, Adam at other boy underscore art, Adrian at pathologically ade i am at slashers pod and or gacy jones thank you very much for listening stay tuned for the rest of this month and goodbye and good die